Good afternoon. We're just about to start. It's four Titus. I see you there. Are you there? Just unmute for a second and say hi. And then we'll come back in uh, probably 30 seconds and start up. I see you. If you just unmute yourself. Titus, can you hear me? Hello? Okay, can you unmute yourself and say hi? It's the bottom right corner. It looks like a microphone. It's next to the thumbs up. It's got an X through it. You just uh, push that. You should be able to speak. All right. Ah, looks like you're there. You want to say hi so I can hear you? Titus? Hello? Hello? Titus? Okay. I should be coming in all right now. Can you hear me? Yes, here you are. You can hear uh, some hear, okay. hear some sound. So look, it's already four. It's four oh one. Welcome to all those. Right. Welcome to those. So let's go ahead and begin. This is this week's episode of The Plot with Lee Smith. And I'll just explain quickly why I call it the plot. And that's because um because we've been, we're, we've been speaking with so many writers here, critics and novelists and essayists and I'm not sure if we've had a poet yet, but we will definitely get some poets in here. And um, plot narrative is central to the act of writing, central to literature, central to um, central to motion pictures. And I have to say, over the last uh, couple of days, I've been reading Titus's essays on American movies. This morning, I. Uh, I read his uh, recent essay on uh, Batman. I believe that's your most recent. That's from June. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think it might be the most recent. But uh... yeah, yeah. So I've I've read I've read that, and uh, it's really it's an amazing body of work, Titus. It's it's phenomenal. It's um, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about your style as we as we move on a little more because it, it's just phenomenal. And um, look, one of the first things I want to do is I'm, I'm sure listeners could hear is you just spoke that you have um, that you have an accent. You live abroad right now. So I'm going to ask you to give a little bit of your background because I want to because I think it's very it's fascinating and important. And you join an important uh, an important grouping of English language writers whose I don't believe that English is your is your mother tongue. And yet you've you've mastered the language. Um, so that you you write brilliantly. Um, so, if we could start off, if you just want to give a little, uh, if you just want to give a little bio, uh, biographical background, explain uh, where you're from, where you are, and then over the next hour, we're going to discuss where you're going and where American pictures are going to, and where American culture is going. So, yeah, welcome, Titus. Thank you so much for being here. And, um, Lee, thanks very much for the invitation and for yeah, the rave review. <laughs> yeah, it's really astonishing work. So it's, if you it's want, very to, kind um, of you. Yeah, well, I'll talk about it in a little bit. But first, I want people to get a little bit of a sense. I have a little bit of a sense because we we spoke a couple of days ago. But if you can go into it, um, if you could yeah. expand and go into some detail. Uh, you know, I'm a writer on film. I tend to leave myself out of things as much as possible, but I think it's fair if I'm asking the audience to pay attention to me to say a bit about why they should do that. Uh, I, am, uh, I am a student of political science, of ancient political philosophy, really, by training. I studied in my native Bucharest in Romania and also in Brussels and Berlin. And uh, 
I uh, don't write, however, on politics because it almost never makes friends, I've noticed. Mm. Uh, I guess uh, that's what I can say. Yeah. One wise thing I learned from political philosophy mm. is uh, don't talk too much about politics. You're not going to make friends. <laughs> uh, so I, I do film criticism. I, uh, I write on culture more broadly because I think many of the things we believe in and fight over show up much more clearly there. And it has not escaped my attention that the electorate is much more united, so to speak. America is much more together, one, at the movies as an audience than uh, than it ever is in political debates. So I think that there's something very powerful in that, that uh, whoever wants to marry intelligence to patriotism would have to pay attention to. And so I've dedicated my career for... Uh, you know, the better part of a decade, I guess, at this point, mm. to, uh, to to writing about this, and uh, my uh, you know, I, I grew up, as I said, in Bucharest, in Romania. I mm-hmm. lived in the aftermath of communism. I saw mm. all the crazy things of the '90s. I know what regime changes in a way in which, of course, Americans can't, thank God, understand. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, as with many other people from behind the Iron Curtain, I look at things with uh, a lot more worry and perhaps for that reason with a lot more care. Uh, like many other people, I am uh, somewhat shocked by the the kind of despotism and ideological diktat that's becoming fashionable in what was once the, the you know, America, uh, the home of the brave. So that's another reason why I insist so much on culture. Somehow politics mm. has not made Americans quite as brave as they need to be in these mm. times. And uh, we have to look for the ailment and to some extent for the cure elsewhere in uh, where do people's hopes get really excited, where do people go to become depressed on the other hand. Mm. Uh, the movies, social media, what people call the culture, uh, generally speaking, that's the arena in that sense. It's Americans trying to find some kind of togetherness and unfortunately very often failing to do so. And so there's, I think, a great connection between my uh, childhood in post-communism and my worry about American politics, Mm. but also about my uh, great uh, love of America because uh, I grew up with American pop culture. I was a great student of history. So even as a child, I thought... The American founders really are like the ancient founders you read about in Plutarch or in uh, uh, Greek historians. And uh, so it was a natural fit to me for me also to think of, say, John Wayne and uh, the Western as uh, somehow correspondent to the Greek epic, to a heroic storytelling of the foundation of mm-hmm. law and order, of the origins of uh, the humanity, of civilization. So uh, in a certain way, I think because of uh, a classical education as well, I have a a much greater care and uh, a special fondness for the seriousness with which great American artists took Hmm. these concerns. I want to, you say something in your Batman essay, which I'm going to come to in a minute. You talk about how, how Christopher Nolan really sort of, he picks up on the epic when a lot of other film is is really sort of uh, picks up on the novel, but before we get to that, there's so much there's so much I want to talk to you about because really these are just these essays are truly remarkable, and I hope that I I, I hope listeners here are going to go out and look up Titus. Can you can you well first of all can you pronounce your last name properly? I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Uh, so my last name is Tsekero, which is a okay. Romanian version of a name that might be Germanic or Magyar. Uh-huh. Uh, this part of Europe, you know, a, a lot of confusion about these things. Uh, my family comes from Transylvania. So if anybody mm-hmm. pronounce a Transylvanian name right, I will not. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, look, I mean, one of the amazing things is you're talking about your childhood, you're talking about your background and how you see America. I mean, you identify very closely with America. I mean, you're you're the head of the Americas, the American Cinema Foundation, so it seems that you've given over a great deal of your uh, not only your uh, professional career, but a lot of your identity um, to American to American culture, American society. Why why is that? 
Well, uh, I think the, the simplest way I put it is that I don't think most people really believe in civilization. I really believe in civilization. I have a great love of political freedom. And ever since I was a child, I identified that with America. Hmm. It was the only place. Uh, and uh, that has never changed. You know, the, yeah. of course, uh, I, I am, I'm, I'm 36 now. So mm-hmm. you could say more or less the years of, of being not a young man, an adult, uh, yeah. It has been pretty horrible to see what's been happening to America and, and to fear that people are not doing what they need to do to save liberty and to, in a way, commit themselves again to civilization. But still, it's uh, the only place. And so I never had any doubts about this part of things, about hmm. what, what, what practically should I be doing. Hmm. Um, I was recruited for the American Cinema Foundation by... Uh, uh, a wonderful a friend who was looking, as it were, for a new generation and for mm-hmm. a new way of dealing with these things. Since obviously conservatives and the various attempts to deal to some extent with popular culture, say in the 90s, didn't end well. And by the early 2000s, uh, liberals were uh, not hunting down conservatives mm-hmm. in Hollywood, but uh, certainly making it clear that it would be wisest to shut up or disappear. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but on the other hand, I, I, I've seen in digital technology, in social media, in criticism, in educating, I lecture in colleges, I lecture in charter schools. I have a lot of friends who are academics, who are part of the American Cinema Foundation, who teach literature, cinema, try to use poetry to mm. be more persuasive and to make students more thoughtful, give them a certain depth of experience that often mm. kids, of course, lack. And uh, at the same time, get them closer to American history. It, hmm. The easiest way to show kids that America is a real thing and it wasn't invented on the internet the day before yesterday is the movies. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. I mean, you, you, what you remind me of is what is what, when people are down, right? What you want to do is you want to spend time with your friends, not just to sort of take you out of your uh, your uh, emotional or, or your emotional stupor. But because friends remind you who you are and the best things about you, especially when you're down, this is one of the values of friendship. And hearing and reading what you write about American film and hearing what you say about America reminds me like, well, this, this is the same thing. Like, here's a great friend of America. And he looks at these movies. He looks at Clint Eastwood. He looks at the Batman epic and he sees what's best about America and he writes about it to remind Americans who, who, who should be reading Titus. He reminds Americans what our strengths, right? What we have stood for in the past, what we are still supposed to stand for and what we mean and represent. So I think that's probably one of the reasons I'm, I'm so moved by, by, by your essays. Because it, it, it's it's like hearing a friend. It's like hearing a friend speak to our our whole country. So first of all, thank you. That's really great. Um, well, I'm, all, I'm honored that uh, you you're uh, that you take uh, this seriously. That you take the time and that you see a, a kind of good in this. Uh, oh, I think yeah. conservatives usually do not show a lot of respect for culture, and and uh, I think maybe it's something we need to change to take a stronger hand in really the education of the children. I don't think any. I don't think anyone takes culture very seriously, frankly. Um, I, 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 I think that most people. I think that most people generally, including on the left. I mean, we, you know, we spoke with a couple of. Uh, we spoke with a couple of novelists the last couple of weeks. One is a friend of yours, I believe. Sam Finley is a friend of yours. We spoke with him. We spoke with uh, Alex Perez, and these guys are novelists. And you know, one of the things that's happening right now and. In, uh, in contemporary American literature is that they're publishing garbage, right? They're publishing uh, thinly disguised political, politicized autobiographies as fiction. And it's absolute yeah. garbage. And so the, the real stuff, and, you know, and we see this happen and, you know, I mean, you, you will know better and you will have, you can, I'm sure you can name the different Romanian novelists and other writers from behind the Iron Curtain, who are writing state-approved, regime-approved garbage, and what of that? What what of that continues to survive? Nothing, right? Nothing. Nothing. Ex- nothing of that garbage exists, and the the crap that's being published right now by New York publishers this will this will fade 
this will fade within a decade, right? That's so, true. Uh, I, there I, I agree I, with you, but I would point out that at least on the left, they take culture seriously enough to try to destroy uh, it. I, okay, that's interesting. That's a good point. Look, you, you, you're you're right that um, you're right that most people on the right do not do not uh, regularly read a novel, right? They'll read uh, or, or they, they they wouldn't go back and read Walt Whitman. They'll read the Federalist Papers, which is great. I'm saying all these things are great. I'll read the biography of uh, Ulysses Grant. Um, but you're right. The number of people who will go back and say, you know, I'm just going to spend all summer reading Faulkner again. Um, uh, the people who do that on the right are rare. And it's too bad for the reasons that you point out, because this, there's, a depth of, there's a depth of experience in, in real literature. There's also, there's also, we get our examples from literature. You're talking about the epic. I mean, this is one of the most important things for the citizens to, to build citizenship, to show what real heroism looks like. And so let's talk about your, your Clint Eastwood pieces. You write both about um, Grand Torino and you write about Dirty Harry and, and, and Clint Eastwood, not just as a movie star, but as the characters he plays. He's, he, he, these are supposed to be her, heroic figures in, in a sense, uh, sad figures in, in a certain way, but heroic. So let's start with the most recent one you write about, the most recent film of Clint Eastwood you write about, which is Gran Torino. You know, can, if, if, you can talk about, if you can talk about that character and the sorts of things that Americans might get from watching that movie and seeing what it, stand, what it means to, to love your country and to stand up for your, your neighborhood even. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, Gran Torino is in a way a very small scale story. It happens in this suburb of Detroit that's really decrepit. It's quite uh, immiserated, dirty, full of crime, or at any rate vulnerable to crime. It's uh, so yeah, uh, America in twenty twenty two a lot more resembles that than say did the America of two thousand and eight when the movie was made. Uh, unfortunately, it proved uh, somewhat prophetic in that respect as well. And uh, Gran Torino, on the other hand, is uh, uh, about the car, the GT, this uh, mm. uh, American might, power, and yeah. technology, but also manliness, taking risks and taking control, having some knowledge, putting in the work. It's a kind of reward. It's uh, uh, Americans are, are not cowboys anymore, so to speak, or the days of that kind of frontier, but also just of the very hard living, which was also hard in Pittsburgh, not just in Texas. Hmm. Those days are gone, but cars to some extent replaced that. And from the mid-century on gave generations of young men some experience of power and control and hmm. in a way self-knowledge. Uh, you do crazy things, uh, it's not going to end well. But, uh, but if you do it right, you know, it'll be hmm. impressive. So <laughs> somehow it's an image of American manliness and hmm. of control over something that in a way is a lot more powerful than you are. The, hmm. the, the, the engine, the metal, the tons of moving force but uh but but therefore it's also supposed to somehow teach self-control and the fact that the car is almost never used in the movie is also deeply symbolic hmm. uh america is not a grand torino country anymore it's it's just a, a car you you keep clean you wax and polish and wash and try to keep dents off of it or whatever but hmm. what are they gonna do it's it's he's a guy who doesn't really have um uh, Clint Eastwood plays this guy, Kowalski, a Korean war vet, who doesn't really have a legacy, who doesn't really have a future. Hmm. His kids are, uh, not to put to find a point on it, uh, lazy, entitled, uh, you know, suburban Americans who might vote Republican or might vote Democrat, but don't have any ambitions or any real connection to the country or even to their own father. It's it's a now confused country. It's a country without much uh, uh identification with core beliefs and with the experience of the past. The chain of the generations really has been snapped. Mm. And nevertheless, Wall doesn't want to die without, so to speak, giving it one last try. And so he becomes a kind of protector, mm. a hero to this Hmong immigrant family. It's a very poignant thing. The Hmong uh, immigrants to America are refugees from Vietnam and therefore mm. a reminder of the catastrophe that was the American uh, war in Vietnam. It didn't win and the loss was uh, horrible for millions of people there. And uh, therefore pointing out, you know, uh, what happened, America? What mm. happened? But uh, at least in this one case, he's going to make it right in some way and mm. 
uh, and, and of course, uh, immigrant community, in this case, this, some of them are decent people, some of them are promising students, and some of them are quite awful criminals, and they're all in the same right. family, or just bums. It's, it's not ideal. In fact, it's uh, in pretty bad shape and in danger, and really in need of a kind of protection that somehow is not acceptable to Americans anymore, to the, the fact that these Hmong immigrants... They almost worship him like an ancestral hero with offerings of food and things like that. I mean, it's quite astonishing, but it shows you that somehow in other parts of the world, people would be a lot more receptive to manliness than they are in America. Mm. Their fears and therefore their hopes are a lot more immediate and more natural. Far less ideology, far fewer abstractions and less living in fantasy land, more trying to deal with realities. So it, it... Somehow, Grant Torino is supposed to put the all-American past that Clint Eastwood is hoping to teach to new generations, uh, a love of the country, of manliness and justice put together, of working for a living and doing well by working for a living so Mm -hmm. that you can be free, like a man in a GT. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's freedom. Uh, But also trying to add to that a kind of uh, this other side of things, not the conservative, but you could say the liberal side of things. Immigrants, uh, they can be part of America too, but they have to Americanize. And so he teaches this young man uh, how to stand up for himself, but how to work for a living, how to earn his self-respect by earning the respect of men, of older men, of Americans. Uh, He'll learn to be an American from the pros, so to speak. Oh, man, that is a great description. More, see, okay, so I'll say the, the I'll say the thing that I um that I was really struck by with your writing. You write um and 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 short, uh, relatively short sentences, but declarative sentences. And you're you're writing about these movies, and you're you're stating these things as though they're obvious, but they're not. It's 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 brilliant interpretation and your reading and going through it. It's almost like reading. It's almost like reading just the explication you know explication of the text but it's not it's your interpretation like and and it's funny because it's almost like well of course we all agree on this you see this just as well as i do it's not it it, it, it's a brilliant persuasive style because it's not you're not trying to really persuade someone it's an agreement it's like well of course you you see this as well as i do here's what's happening uh with young bruce wayne there, you know, and he, he, he and Joker are having this argument, uh, and here's what the argument is about. So it's really, really impressive. Um, does that come from, does that come from, uh, you know, your, your, your study of philosophy as well? How you wrote about philosophy? Uh, yeah, primarily that's where that's where I learned this stuff. And yeah. uh, as I said, partly my reading ancient poetry, ancient history, ancient philosophy, mm. uh, those people did not condescend to their readers. Mm. Uh, they they entertained at least the possibility that some of the readers would be as wise or wiser than themselves. Mm. And since I know for damn sure those people were a lot wiser than I am, it's mm. not hard for me to imagine that some of my readers might be wiser than I am. And I'll make the <laughs> best case I can in, in simply by trusting that a lot of Americans love this movie and these artists seem to me special to bear to some extent comparison mm. to great examples of the past. Uh, you know, you try to rise to that level and at the same time accept that uh, they, they're probably good guides. You, you can trust them to, to, to show you how to think about these things and what is at stake. And That's I think, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've lectured to teenagers on hmm. ancient poetry. I've lectured to adults as well and to faculty. And I think uh, the, the willingness of Americans to listen, to think along, to make up their own minds. Maybe they're inspired. Maybe there's an insight. Maybe they call bullshit. You'll figure hmm. it out along the way. It... There's an eagerness for uh, interpretation, for understanding mm. these things as the artists want you to look at them mm. that uh, conservatives, I think, have to uh, their great detriment to our all our great detriment uh, neglected. And so I'm uh, making every effort I can really no. to persuade people to look at things in that way. I think uh, most often our better artists are far above our other public figures. Our mm. politicians are usually despised for good reasons Mm. and in a way even understanding the greatness of our great politicians requires respect for art for their rhetoric for their presentation for the complexity of their argument sometimes it's uh you know it's it's it's, it ain't uh it ain't easy 
but there is a beauty to it that moves you and guides you. And there's so much that's thoughtful. Uh, I ask myself, you know, why do people care about this damn movie? What is the conflict there that speaks to people? And I think, okay, I, I can see some of it. And then I try to think my way through it and to present my thinking through to other people who might think along with me. They, it might persuade, it might not. Uh, art also involves this uncertainty. So interpretation is essential to it. And it's part of saying uh, you, you make up your own mind. Uh, you have to do the work of thinking, but also you have a kind of freedom to make up your own mind about uh, which way does this conflict really point us? Mm. What is the resolution that the, the, the artist is considering? It's just that... Uh, people who are very willing to go along with that do not have the habit of doing it. Hmm. And uh, so I, I've ah, often talked to people who say, you know, I love what you're doing. Uh, I don't know other people doing it. Hmm. And uh, at the same time, I thought, you know, when I didn't put these thoughts in their minds. I didn't educate them when they were kids. They thought for themselves by reading along with what I'm hmm. writing. So the willingness and the capacity, I think, to a large extent is there. The habit is not. I, I like to say that... Uh, there's a kind of conspiracy of silence in America. Uh, liberals often don't want to talk about movies because they're not, if they're great, they're not liberal. And ordinary Americans don't want to interpret them because somehow it feels like the wrong thing to do. What is this movie about? As though saying why you care so much about something is a bad thing. And uh, th that is well, let, a, let, a great problem to... that needs fixing. Well, let's go to the other Dirty Harry movie. Is that not, not, that I, not that I think that every, not the other Clint Eastwood movie, rather which is Dirty Harry, not, and not that I think that it has to be um, timely to be effective, but of course, a lot of people look around now. We know that San Francisco is mayhem, and we know about, we know how uh, Kathy Boudin's son was the uh, prosecutor there, you know, a, 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 a terrorist, and it was a prosecutor there and voted out. But I mean, look, in lots of ways, <laughs> Dirty Harry is as timely now as it was when it was made 50 years ago. So, how, yeah, I mean, how, did, how, 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 how should we understand this movie now? Should we understand it that American cities are a timeless, uh, a timeless morass? They'll always be like this, or what? It and and so it's a it's the the, the dirty hairy character who's doing something that will have to be done in every generation, and the work will never end. Or how, yeah, how are we supposed to understand dirty hairy? How, how how should we understand it now? Uh, that's a very good question, and uh, the answer is not going to be all uh, pleasantries. So I was shocked last year that on its 50th anniversary, this iconic movie, conservative director who's had a remarkable body of work for 50 years, no acknowledgement, no honor, nobody cares. Hmm. Uh, I think, again, this shows that maybe as conservatives we deserve to lose because we do not honor our great artists. Why hmm. should these people bother so much? These people are breaking uh, the, their backs trying to figure something out that would move large audiences, that would be memorable over the generations, that would offer America confidence in the kind of way of grasping these kinds of problems. Why the hell are these cities falling apart? And uh, people don't bother to, to care. It's, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm from political science. I, I respect and share the conservative notion of worrying about economics, worrying about policy. Hmm. Uh, I, I obsess over the, the the big leaders in important countries around the world. I wonder, you know, what should America be doing about this country or that? Where is uh, a better course for American foreign policy? What are the dangers that uh, will, will be presented by globalization for the next uh, generation or by technology? These are all very important things. But if you don't have any connection with American democracy, uh, what exactly is the point? Uh, well, you're 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 talking about, I think, which is important. But you're, when you're talking about conservatives like that, what I think, what I, uh, what comes to my mind is that you're talking about, um, I don't know, Washington policy intellectuals. We, I, I see our our friend here, Mark Ranz, has popped up as a listener. Hi, Mark. How you doing? Mark and I were speaking last week, right here on on on, on the plot. We were speaking about how conservative is a unsatisfying term at this point, right? It's it's not. It, 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 oh, first yeah. of all, it, it feels like it's you know the, the guys who pride themselves on being part of the conservative movement. I mean, what you know, what 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 the hell is that? And and who cares? So, but but I think there is a in, insofar as I don't. How can we put it? 
that America is a centrist country, basically a conservative country, by which we mean most Americans revere their, their traditions and revere their history and want to conserve what's best and protect what's best about this country and admire people who stand up for the values of this country. You know what, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not really about like, well, what's the, what's the appropriate foreign policy, conservative foreign policy, or how, you know, what, what, what are tax cuts supposed to look like? So I, I, I think there's a, I, so when you say, and I know you're being provocative and you said, well, maybe we deserve to lose, but I mean, people still revere Dirty Harry. People still revere Clint Eastwood. He makes a movie, and and and, yeah. and everyone. I, I agree with that partly, but yeah. uh, and I agree with your criticism of this uh, elite that's really shabbier and shabbier. Uh, it's, you know, it's they do give so, conservatism a bad name, and you know, in a way, I, Trump was right. You have to make America <laughs> great again. Right. These I, days, people look around and they're saying, "This ain't great." I'm I'm actually quite scared. Right. Uh, it's harder to conserve things when you've already lost them. I mean, they have to be reinvented, brought back, or, or, or figured out anew. It, it's a lot tougher. But, of course, the example, the fact that America has done so many amazing things for more than two centuries, uh, should also give people some reassurance. Uh, there are also a lot of ups, not just downs. Uh, confident Americans uh, sometimes break their necks. Often they succeed. So hmm. there's a lot of smart money uh, in that betting pool. But uh, but it's not just that uh, we have elites that uh, don't really want to appeal to the democracy, don't appeal to that majority of the population that, as you say, these people know they're Americans, they've never had any doubts about this stuff, and they think yeah. it's probably a pretty good thing and could work out well, at least it should. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of people feel that it ain't, and a lot of people are right, it ain't working out well. Right. Because well, you do need elites that care about these things. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, like it's not just DC people, but like conservatives, uh, the older generation is on Fox or is uh, on talk radio. And uh, that's just awful. It's not just that it, it says nothing to their children or to the next generation. Yeah. It's that it, it doesn't, it just makes these people angry and they shout at the TV or they shout in the car mm-hmm. listening to the radio. And they're good patriots. They deserve something better than this. A lot of that sort of entertainment is sucking the souls out of them, making them angry for no reason, offering them uh, no I, hope. You You've hit on something that's very important to me. Right. You can, you, can, you can love this country, and if you sit down in front of the TV and watch too much uh, conservative TV or listen to too much conservative neighborhood, it's like, Forget it, man. We might as well pack it in. This is terrible. This is awful. What chance do we have? The forces of darkness are 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 gathering, are marshalling all of their all of their strength against us. And what can we do? Right. I think it's I think it's important to say no, no, no. There's a lot of you know. It's and it's not just a matter of being positive, being a happy warrior. So I'm like, no, get out of here. There's a whole bunch of fighters all the time, and there are people fighting in all sorts of different ways. And, yeah, exactly. Um, that is the point. Every time you talk right. to me on the media about the problem, I would like to hear about some of the people trying to come right. up with solutions. They well, haven't done it yet, but I would let, like let, those people to get attention. Then let's talk about Dirty Harry. Then let's come to Dirty Harry. What can America? What can we learn? Yeah, uh, think uh, about what. The, what uh, we're not all gonna. We're not all gonna pack a forty-four Magnum and walk through the streets of San Francisco. But what can Americans learn from Dirty Harry? From from um, I mean, so what are the different I things? think the, the 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 you know these these are are uh, these are the kinds of action heroes that have ended up being called either fascists or just mm. sort of crazy fantasies. This is unnecessary. This isn't possible. It, mm. It's a crazy uh, male right wing fantasy. But I would say right. actually, which it's is ordinary exactly reality. The language and they went after Trump. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly the language that they used to go after Trump. Anyone who tries and, to uh, do something positive for the country, right? A right wing fantasy. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but uh, but when they asked Clint Eastwood why he made Dirty Harry, he said it's because I care about victims' rights. Huh. How dare these politicians betray their electorate? How huh. dare you uh, let uh, ordinary, decent Americans live in fear? Hmm. Uh, well, you know, they have rights. You have a duty to good government. That's why you're in office. Huh. Uh, misfeasance, criminal malfeasance, uh, these are serious things. Uh, why there's not more impeachments, why there are, there's not more political anger mm. specifically aimed to bring things down like they, 
did get rid of some of these more awful types in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, that's the kind of anger that the media should be uh, instilling in people to tell them you can act on this. You can get rid of these assholes, yeah. throw them out, humiliate them, make their names a byword. All of these people should be infamous and uh, media should be up to doing that. It's one of the few things they could actually do. And uh, but but for the movies themselves, you know, look at Dirty Harry. That's really what's needed. If there had been a Dirty Harry in any of number of these cases that have been awful shootings, I guess it's school shootings these days. And again, school kids in a school bus is the Dirty Harry's climax. Yeah, even right. that was prophetic. Americans are obsessed right. about their kids. What happens if you don't give a shit about victims anymore? Well, wow, eventually, is a, this is a really the kids will be victims. That's what this will happen eventually. Right. This it's is not really an entertainment. Point. It's not just popcorn. It's, that's American reality, bit yeah. by bit, step by step. If you let cities descend to terror, this is what will happen. And uh, the only guy who is willing to do something about it will be called Dirty. And if you right. stain his name that way, he will not have the kind of influence, the inspiration to give to other people so that they think, you know, actually we could do law and order. There's enough of us who have enough guns and we believe in justice. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what happened at Uvalde. I'm sure you've seen those videos now yeah, I mean, of exactly. the cops waiting and not doing anything. And, you know, who, whoever knows what. I mean, there's a story about a cop whose wife was yeah. calling him. They're killing me. And he ran, wanted to run in there and they stopped him. Right. He was disarmed and cuffed by his fellow officers. Right. On whose side are these people? They're certainly not on Dirty Harry's side, and they're not on the side of ordinary Americans. These are the kinds of police and politicians you see in San Francisco and Dirty Harry. This was a warning about what happens with these weirdo bureaucratic situations. They're doing jobs that don't do anybody any good until the point that they actually become part of the problem. They end up being on the side of the terrorists. They end up being on the side of these psychopaths. And, you know, uh, apparently the psychopaths know it. They yeah. don't really attack people who are armed. They tend to attack disarmed people and, uh, and, and profit from this kind of paralysis that comes to us from our institutions and from the fact that we do not give attention to the right kinds of people. We don't recruit the right kinds of elite. Our media doesn't point to uh, people who actually do heroic things. And her- people who do heroic stuff are not rewarded or honored for it. How is this then supposed to be inspirational? How is this supposed to galvanize a community to say, no, this is what we want out of life. This is who we are. But don't we, uh, don't we, don't we recognize it? Like right now we see, we see the people who are rewarded in our society, right? We see that Hunter Biden is rewarded with money and with, with, with women and in notoriety even. We see, all, we, we see the people who are society, um, their loves and affections, and it's disgusting. But isn't there another side? Aren't there people who are saying, like, well, okay, well, you don't cherish our values or our heroes, but we nonetheless have our heroes. And our heroes are, I, don't, I mean, people do still look up to Clint Eastwood as, as, as a movie maker, someone who's been promoting different values. So don't we yep. actually have heroes that are just not accepted by, by the people uh, that's, who promote That's what Dirty hunting? Harry is about, right? At the end of the movie, Dirty Harry throws away his badge. There's a... Uh... Uh, it's not enough that he's done all he's done because he's not going to be a hero to these people. Even the people who love him, even the people who think he did right at least, who admire his courage, his sacrifice, uh, you know, like they, they don't want to get involved in the drama. They don't want to touch somebody who's dirty. And that's maybe the most important warning that movie offers, that if ordinary Americans stay quiet, mm-hmm. if there are not public acts that, that, that commemorate what needs commemorating, uh, everybody will end up thinking, you know, this is dirty stuff. Don't touch it. Sure, that no. guy saved lives, but he, like, he killed people. He was involved in bloodshed. Stay away from him. Um, it's safe. People can become cowards, just like uh, people who are in danger can become cowards. It, unless there's more of a public dedication, unless there's more respect for and education of the public spiritedness, especially of young American men, hmm. uh, how is conservative supposed to have a future? Hmm. It's, uh, these I, movies I, are an inspiration and the guidance, but they have not led to this kind of success. There's, uh, as you can see, there are not many 
writers who follow the great Tom Wolfe, there are not many writers, directors, mm. actors following Clint Eastwood. They were not applauded enough. They were not considered sufficiently prestigious. They were not uh, conservative media and what have you talking about them intelligently and honestly enough that they will become objects of admiration for young people to discover them, to begin to take them seriously and eventually maybe imitate them. Hell, maybe even outdo them, you know? Maybe there will be a greater conservative director than Clint Eastwood. Right. When Sam Finley came on, you know, we were talking about the, you know, uh, uh, Top Gun, Maverick, right? So, and, and this movie has had spectacular success. So, can you imagine, I mean, I think, I, I, can you imagine a, a remake of Dirty Harry? I mean, there's obviously an audience for it. It's obviously relevant. I, I mean, you know, and I, I don't want to talk about the mechanics of Hollywood. I, I, I guess what I'm asking is, can't you see an audience and people saying like, right, that's oh, yeah. what's going on with our country right now. That's what we need. We need people to embrace this idea. Uh, I think it's possible. I would sign up and write the movie. I would uh, get involved <laughs> to figure out how to do this. The technology yeah. is cheap now. The distribution is much more possible uh, for, for people on the conservative side. You can gather enough attention. You can attract the attention maybe of some important people. Uh, it, it, it's not impossible. In fact, it's, it hasn't been this easy since 1971. Yeah. Uh, but uh, people have to want to do it. Um, you know, I, I'm really happy that uh, my friend Sam is wanting to get his uh, Breakfast with the Dirt Club f- mm. shot as a movie. Uh, th- that would be a good story. There's the, the heartbreak of American patriotism, this yeah. moment of perplexity where you love your country and you don't know, uh, is that any good anymore? Yeah. Uh, That's a great and, story. Uh, Sam's novel is a great, you know, yeah. All American story. Why not that? Uh, the only reason is like we haven't really done it. We... You know, so much of conservative media is parasitical. It's people complaining about mm. something they read in the New York Times or about something some prestigious <laughs> liberal somewhere said. You're right. a parasite. No, uh, right. I'm, I'm not about right. complaining about things, but I would like yeah. to say, here's my complaint and here's my solution. Uh, I think a lot of the solution is focus a lot more on uh, culture because then you can have something beautiful to offer people. You have something all American to offer people. Uh, is it wrong? Showed the way in in this respect too. I mean, uh, most of the movies he's made since uh, Grand Torino have been based on true stories. Oh. In one case, he even did this shocking thing. He got these three yeah. all American boys to play themselves in a movie about how one day, going from Belgium to France on a train, they stopped a Muslim terrorist. Um, oh. It wasn't on the schedule, but they did it. You know, it wasn't yeah. in America, but they didn't ask themselves uh, about I don't know jurisdiction or what have you. They uh, they acted like men do at the risk of their lives. And he had them play themselves in the movies and conservatives didn't really give a damn about mm. that movie. These things are not widely reviewed. Mm. He's not widely interviewed. They're not played, I, I don't know, in all the venues you could uh, do. Uh, conservative elites really do not care. And often it's because they're too ignorant and too stupid to understand what really moves the heart of a young man. Mm. What inspires people to love America ah. and... Uh, and then is, you know, that, is that, is that part of the role? Is that part of the role of art and culture? Like how much of Homer was to instruct young men? How much of it was to instruct young men in 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 in, in, in valor, in courage, and honor, right? I mean, because I mean there's everything in there. There's also a lot of very yeah. bad things. Achilles is a mixed character, but he's yeah. also valorous. So is that part uh, of exactly, the role of you know, art to instruct? To instruct young men on how to, on how to act, uh, the, how to build, a, uh, how to build a civilization. Exactly, it's uh, you know the, the purpose of storytelling is broadly speaking to to connect manliness to justice. Hmm. Uh, without that connection, manliness can become monstrous. Huh. But uh, but with it, it is possible to defend what we call civilization. Without it, it is not possible. We're now in a, this weird situation where our elites really and truly believe that manliness is not only not necessary for civilization, it should be eliminated. It's a danger. It's the only problem civilization has that are still men. So, you know, people on the right may be uh, worried or afraid about the drop in testosterone counts. People on the left are applauding. <laughs> uh, and that's not a disagreement that we're going to be able to negotiate in a friendly and pleasant, polite manner. That's going to require a, a very serious choice. Just, as you mentioned Top Gun, one of the points of the movie is 
why not replace men with, you know, drones? Mm. Uh, and uh, the movie doesn't have a great answer to that question. It's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's not, um, nobody walked out of that theater saying, well, you remember that young guy who was a pilot who was really inspirational because he said or he did this thing. They're, they're just mannequins. They're just, uh, I don't know, supermodels and I guess hunks or something like that. Nobody thinks any of these guys are worth anything. Uh, which is which is a damn shame. You think you know these pilots are some of the few people who take their lives in their hands, who are manly, and also have to be really intelligent, study a lot. Hmm. Uh, some of body, some of mind, surely is shown in the, the level of excellence there. But apparently, they have no personalities and are instantly forgotten. Nobody remembers hmm. anything they said or their names or their hmm. faces or whatever. It's uh, which is you know uh, Achilles wanted to be remembered. Yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty depressive if these supposedly heroic types are uh, you know instantly forgotten. So uh, it, it's not enough. You wanna you wanna not be replaced by machines? Tell me why being a man matters. Another thing, hmm. this, there was a Jurassic World or Jurassic Park movie just came out. I reviewed that as well to point out hmm. that this is explicitly a movie about how a woman is so smart that she hmm. impregnates herself through science and doesn't <laughs> need the man to have a child child who is a clone of herself. Yeah but a more perfect clone of herself. It's better than nature. Uh, that's the future. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm not sure your audience knows this, but I'm here to give you the bad news as well. Uh, American higher education has been dominated by women for a generation. Mm. Now it's something like 60-40%. That's the kind of equality Americans now have. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember when people used to say that people want equality. You know, mm. Women are 50% of the population, they should be half of college or half of, I guess, uh, corporate elites now. Well, what if they're 60%? Do we also call that justice and equality and all American, I don't know, fairness? I don't know. It might mean replacing men. Um, I, I think so I think we... uh, these this questions, they're not just there in movies. They're, they're in America. These are the things that agonize people, people, but they don't dare talk about it. I, I, I think a lot of people are starting to talk about it because, you know, we've got... All of these different things about uh, Americans looking at the Biden administration and what's going on. And they talk about like, well, look, all these Latino voters are dissatisfied. They're jumping over to the Republican Party. Uh, a lot of African-American voters are dissatisfied. Some, though less than the Latinos, are jumping in the Republican Party. But what's the what's the one demographic that's holding steady? Right. That's, in fact, increasing. It's college educated women. And I think that's forcing a lot of Americans to ask like, what the hell is going on in the university system that these young women or some of them not so young can look at this and think this is anything but a monstrosity, right? So, no, I think a lot of people are starting to turn around and ask these different questions. But I want to come back because you said something before about manliness and justice. And I want to ask you, have you written about the man who shot Liberty Valance? Uh, if you can believe it, nobody has ever paid me to write about it. I'm I'm just a writer. Ah. I'm not an important person. <laughs> well, we're gonna we'll, we'll have to raise money to get you to write about it because the... it seems like that's one of the that's the that's the central theme of that movie, isn't it? It's the central theme of lots of of lots yep. of Western movies. I mean, that's a that that's everybody should know this movie, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. It may be the greatest movie ever made. John Ford is probably the greatest director that there was. Uh, I, somehow he's not very respected these days. I guess it's because liberals are more on the arty culture thing and they think he was racist or something like that. But those two movies, The Searchers and The Man Who mm-hmm. Shot Liberty Valance, yeah. they're maybe the wisest thing said of, about mm-hmm. America, about the origins of the family and the origins of the city, mm-hmm. about private and public life, about what's holy and what's political. They're amazing and, of course, just beautiful. The, John Ford was really an artist, uh, a cut above most. Uh, you know, I, I I always take the chance to do podcasts or to go lecture about these movies and especially those. Uh, and I think they're wildly underappreciated because they're not known anymore. If they could regain some of their fame, people would realize there's a reason America loved this stuff. You see the heartbreak, you see the promise of America, you see this terrible danger to civilization, but also the hope that keeps people trying and uh, there are real achievements that uh, make sh- that prove to you that your beliefs, your hopes, they're not fantasy land. You can really achieve things. Uh, I'm 
And I suppose, in a way, the arts have that power too. If America keeps producing great artists, uh, people like Christopher Nolan, you know, it's not lost. About I, yeah, can you talk about him? Because you, you say that you think he's the greatest living American. I, I, I believe I'm, I'm getting this right, but you think he's the greatest living American uh, filmmaker. So if you can talk about him for a little bit, and in particular, the I, Batman I think movies. he's the best thing in Hollywood and really, you know, global cinema. I guess you could say these movies are played everywhere. Uh, yeah, nobody compares to that. I think he is much misunderstood. But first of all, just to give a sense of his achievement, he, he, he uh, just look on IMDb. There's a thing called the IMDb Top 250. Nobody has as many movies as he does at the top. And he's a guy who just showed up, uh, made his first movie in 2000 or so. The, uh, that's because uh, he appeals to the, you know, who votes in that thing. Really, it's young men who mostly vote, right? Mm. Uh, kind of, uh, it, it's a male thing to do. And uh, I'm, I'm happy they do it because it gives evidence where the young men would like the world to go and they would like it to go in the direction of Chris Nolan. But it's not just that young men like it. It's that his movies are technologically and cinematically imaginative, innovative, and, you know, give people the feel for greatness, Hmm. uh, an ambition, a a, a wider breadth, greater horizons. And, uh, and then he has, you know, enormous popularity. He's not just an artist. He's an artist who makes people uh, fall in love with this stuff. Uh, when you make billions of dollars, you can be pretty sure that large numbers of people <laughs> liked it. Right. And of course, there's great prestige attached to his movies. They're very sophisticated, intellectual, and uh, lots of Oscar nominations and all that. He got a comic book movie, The Dark Knight, to win an Oscar. So it's not a little. He he got everything you need. He got prestige, he got popularity. He got the young men on his side. He got Americans to look at technology with some wonder and uh, a desire to make something mighty. That's no small achievement, but I would say he didn't do it to show off or to make people feel good about it. From the beginning of his career, you can see that he is terrified of the problem of nihilism. Mm. What if people stop believing in anything and be, no longer become able to learn anything for that reason? What, what, why? How, how can we see that from the beginning of his career? You're, you're talking about the movies before the Batman movie? Uh, yeah, in the, his, his first feature film was the sort of thing he made with his friends on a string, uh, shoestring budget, a couple of thousand pounds, I guess. He was in London at the time. What was and, it? What was the, uh, it's what called was the, the Following. It's kind of yeah. an intellectual neo-noir uh, uh, about the writer who gets involved in some kind of crime. Uh, by sort of looking for trouble, but who actually feels that maybe modern life has nothing to offer him. And eventually crime somehow seems more meaningful, more uh, desirable, because it's like people really believe in this. People are really wanting to do this. And it's mysterious as opposed to the boring world of, you know, modern world. People are often bored. I guess that's why they're uh, trying to escape into the internet. But the second movie, Memento, the first one set in America, that one's about a a dude in pursuit of justice who ends up mad. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a movie against justice or against men. It's a movie warning about the madness that follows on people who uh, no longer have any kind of connection to a community. It's also kind of neo-noir, but it's a dude who has absolutely no connection to a community that could help him with justice. And all alone, he ends up mad. Mm -hmm. The... And wow. you can say that the, the, the harshest of the movies he made. Afterwards, they got uh, less harsh and partly for that reason more popular. But it was always this concern. Men without uh, America will end up mad. And America without men will end up not just cowardly, but uh, it will without, no longer be free. Without what? Without community? Without, yeah, what What does America need? You saw the title that I, I, I titled our conversation, Can Can the Movies Save America? Um so w- w- what do we what does america need not to go mad community um, um a sense of it, a sense of itself w- w- yeah okay. i mean I, I don't mean to put you on the spot but, but i think that's what you were saying this is what will happen to america not just so not far just, as yeah, movies can character. deal with this problem and mm. you know popular culture so to speak the it's not exactly community but americans can find fellow feeling recognize each other as Americans by loving the same movies. I agree with you. That's what Top Gun Maverick is about. I'm just sad. It's such a mediocre movie. I think, uh, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't disagree with people who loved it. I, 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 I just think they deserve a lot better. I think that yeah. these people are honestly patriotic. 
I think their hearts are, are breaking for this country and they're hoping that at least this time, you know, this one movie is not going to break their heart, but their standards have really, really been lowered by this heartbreak. I think they deserve a lot better than they're getting. Uh, I don't begrudge anybody his enjoyment, especially in these times. I'm just saying uh, a lot of greater artists used to come in America and they will be needed again to provide people with this fellow feeling to say that we are all in this. You you see it. I see it. We feel the same way about this stuff and we'll remember it. And we've got, uh, that's, that's a great necessity for America because there are so many people. It's not one city. It's more than 300 million people. We've got, there uh, needs to be some fellow feeling. There needs to be enough of saying, understanding what we root for in common, so to speak, hmm. and some public admission of what we are afraid the, the 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 movies of Nolan are so great because unlike the sort of you know, Star Wars or Disney trash, uh, the villains are memorable because mm-hmm. Nolan starts from admitting we have problems. There's a reason we're afraid. And in our villains, we will see what's wrong with us or where we are vulnerable or where our uncertainties point to some possible catastrophe that we should be serious about. And at least let's see what it would be. It's just imagination. It's fictional. It's not, you know, a, a policy plan or I don't know what, but it's telling people we're not bullshitting ourselves. We're not deluded. We really have very good reasons to be afraid and we should try to think it through. Wow. Okay. We're, we've got about five minutes, but I've got three questions for you. Um, the first one is what do you think? Well, the first one is, and uh, let me say them all out. So I remember before I get lost. First, first one is what are what movie are you writing about now, or what subject you're writing about now? The second question is, um, what is the what is the movie that you would most like to make or see made? And the third question is, everyone who's listening, what's the movie that they should watch tonight? I mean, you can say Liberty Valance or The Searchers or whatever you want, but let's start with that. What's the movie that everyone should watch tonight? Uh, you know, let me recommend the David Mamet movie to you from 2009 that I always like to show my friends. Oh, they're young. Okay. It's called Red Belt. It's about MMA. Uh-huh. It's about, uh, you know, uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And it's about martial arts as the discipline of the soul of man and trying mm. to confront the corruption of L.A., Hollywood, America, while retaining integrity. I, I'm impressed with it, so I want, uh, I want that one. I, I it's called Red it. Belt. I haven't seen it. Not, David and I, Mamet like is the David greatest playwright much. in America. He's a conservative. He's uh-huh. libertarian. He's, 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 you know, okay. he's a guy people should applaud and can admire and would love to talk to because he's just crazy fun. And I believe uh, that movie deserves uh, uh, everybody's attention. It's wonderful. Okay. Uh, so right, so with great. the... What movie am I writing about now? I am writing, yeah. uh, well, not about the movie. I'm writing about the late Angelo Codevilla, who was uh, a lion of uh, a man, okay. was a right. great scholar of mm-hmm. political science. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I learned more integrity about foreign mm-hmm. policy and about mm-hmm. the media demagogy of America from him than from anybody else. I, I read his books all my adult life. I, I had the honor of talking mm-hmm. to him and doing some mm-hmm. podcasting with him before he passed away and oh, as with I'm, such I'm, great I'm men i am only regretful i didn't do more and uh, he had now has another uh, book on american foreign policy on history mm-hmm. and uh, i'm reviewing it for law and liberty and i have to say it's uh, i am very glad to have this opportunity mm-hmm. he, he's another man who deserves a lot more honor than he received yeah. and uh, you know it, it's it's to our benefit if we honor great men, we will learn from yeah. them. And it's to our uh, detriment if we do not. Yeah. And as for what movie people should be making. So mm-hmm. you mentioned U.S. Grant. I, I've read his memoirs this year. Mm-hmm. First yeah. time I actually read it top to bottom, beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's amazingly well written. It's just mm-hmm. a beautiful book. And the man, I had no idea he was so smart and so proud and he concealed it, uh, you know, very well. But the argument of the book is largely that the U.S. Civil War took so long because it took people so long to put him in charge. Mm. And I can't think of <laughs> anything more American than that sentiment. <laughs> uh, you know, Americans talk about okay. the Civil War all the time. You know, it has uh, not escaped me that on the left, they're always talking about 
the Hitler, the Nazis, Weimar Germany, on the right, they're classy, so they talk about the Roman Empire or the Roman Republic. But yeah. even when Americans are obsessed about civil war, they don't talk about the American civil war, which yeah. uh, I'm against that. I would like to talk about the American civil war. I believe the U.S. Grand biopic would be great. Uh, I, I don't think Americans see what what greatness grows in the midst of America, and wow. few men were made on that wow. scale. I, you know, I, I could talk about this guy endlessly. It's, Who would you get to play Grant? Uh, that's a problem. I mean, uh, recently, I guess Jared Harris, this English actor, did him uh, played oh, him in yeah, the right. in the Spielberg Lincoln movie. He did a pretty good impression. Uh, yeah. it, it's a bit tricky, but I don't. You know, it's a. Uh, it's more how you get an actor to act than which actor you get. Actors actually aren't that impressive, uh, yeah. except for, I guess, like <laughs> they sell movies. But, uh, uh, but the director counts. Uh, that's, you know, John Wayne direct, was, uh, who was made by John that? Ford, you know? Who would you get to direct uh, You see, that, that's the bigger problem. Who can you get to direct a Grant biopic? That's, that, that's a Chris, really tough one. Could Christopher and I, Nolan do it? It would be strange. It would be different for him. But could he yeah, do it? I, I think I, I, I think he can do it. I don't think he would want to because it would be such a pain. It's it's not what he's looking for. I mean, he's doing an Oppenheimer biopic right now. Oh, His mind is elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Again, you know, technology, war, American greatness, the danger of uh, of, of unwise power. I, I see what's uh, what, what's on his mind. So very hmm. humanist and uh, a very uh, talented guy. But you know, his war heroism is not his metier. But, uh, you know, John Ford would have done it. And you know, mm. I was like, who could do it at all like John Ford? Nowadays, uh, we don't really go in for that. It's it's much harder than before. Maybe it would have to be made like a miniseries. Since I, it, you know, it, it is a long right. story. But the, God, you're right. That would be great, though. That would be fantastic. But it's, uh, you know, show people what America was like. You know, man was yeah. born in 1822. This is his bicentennial year. And uh, again, like, yeah. this is... 200 years of U.S. grant, not a lot of celebration this year, right? Uh, His birthday came and went in April without much of a bang. (laughs) People don't care. And I'm not not blaming uh, Americans for this. I'm blaming American elites. I'm blaming people who have some ambition, some, you know, public figure position, some kind of media presence, because uh, you're supposed to take care of these things. Americans should know America produces greatness and it's of great interest. That guy, his life... Uh, how America transformed in the 19th century, it's all there. And the, the, the impact of the story should not be uh, uh, undersold. You know, you can't have these kinds of ridiculous liberal types or the people who say they're conservative, but they just really want to imitate liberal storytelling mm-hmm. because they think it's sophisticated. You can't have that nonsense. You need at least a touch of greatness in the writing. Uh, but uh, but if you could get it, who else is going to give you a story where, say, the American right will be mm. proud to deal with the race issue? Mm. It's a big deal, you know. Yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. No, you're right. It's very so, interesting. And uh, there are so many aspects to the story. Uh, you know, I, 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 we could talk all night, but it's not a good idea to talk all night about these things. Uh, but it's a it's it's a great book it's very beautifully written i can tell you this much that people thought it was so great that probably he didn't write it mark twain wrote it that's you know as as slander or i didn't i didn't know that i didn't i've I've got a copy of his memoirs here in the library of america series but i didn't know that people thought that twain had written grant's memoir this is because twain uh uh, uh, published it for him did a subscription Uh deal so that he could make money because he needed to Uh leave something behind him so his widow would not be poor you know he wrote this dying by the way in 1894-5 he was dying of cancer it's uh there are at at the end of uh the second volume say you know after 1864 after tennessee when he goes to Virginia, some of the chapters are pretty bad hmm. because he was just in too much pain and agony to write well anymore. Uh, it's so even when you write that, it's just so po- when you read that, it's just so poignant to know this. But most of it is impeccable. It's so I understand why people thought maybe it was ghostwritten. It's just too beautiful. It, uh, Lee, I'm telling you, if you told somebody today. Uh, an intellectual or a scholar or a, a politician wrote that book, nobody would believe you. 
Uh. Because everyone knows these people are all incompetent. Uh. <laughs> Titus, this is uh. amazing. So, you, so you've given all of us, the listeners as well as me, you've given us a movie to watch, Red Belt. You've given us a book to read. You've given us an American hero to think about. And um, and and as I said, as I said earlier, I mean, really, your friendship for America, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I, it's, it's, it's deeply moving. And um, I, I'm grateful. I'm sure everyone else who knows of it is grateful too. the way you write about the way you write about it, the way you talk about it. So thanks. And it's been, it's been a really great hour. We have to do this again very soon. And next time I want to, next time I want to, next time we're going to get you on, we're going to talk about Liberty Valance and we're going to talk about the searchers for the first half that first half hour when we do that but um <laughs> sure sure thanks so titus, much for having me lee titus, this, is, this has been great we're gonna and, and all of you who are listening thank you so much for listening and um and we'll uh we'll be speaking with you next saturday at 4 p.m but if you would if you would publicize this uh, uh, uh if, if you are on social media or tell your friends to download it i'll be posting the recording a little bit later and um boy this was uh it's just a great conversation. I, I, I know I certainly learned a lot. I feel a lot smarter coming out of it. And um, <laughs> Titus, thank you so much, man. What a great what a great afternoon here. You've given us what a great conversation. And we'll be speaking with you again soon. And in the meantime, thank you so much. And God bless you, man. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, man. Enjoy the weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Titus. You too. Bye. Thank you all. Bye.